This is the Blacklist Podcast. I'm your host, founder and CEO of the Blacklist, Franklin Leonard. And I'm Kate Hagan, Director of Community at the Blacklist. And we remain a mile beneath the Hollywood sign, ensconced in our bunker, watching movies and television, because that is what we do. But we have a really fun conversation today. It's a first for the Blacklist Podcast. We have not one, but two guests and they happen to be married and have produced offspring. The offspring are not interviewed, but they are. They're names that you might not recognize, Jordan Horowitz and Julia Hart. At least one of their faces that you will recognize, the Oscar announcement heard around the world, and the other is an accomplished writer-director in her own right, and I'm going to let Kate explain why, because she was there that night, which is sort of wild. I sure was. Second craziest thing that's ever happened to me following being in Grant Park the night President Obama won the election. But yes, Jordan Horowitz, you will recognize from the 2017 Oscars, Jordan is the brave soul who turned the winning Moonlight Best Picture card to camera and saved the day. For my money, the craziest Oscars moment of all time. I don't think that's ever going to be top. We'll see. <laughs> like, I really, I'm trying to imagine what more absurd than a best picture announcement confusion could possibly be in the context of the Oscars. Well, we're going to keep trying. And after Jordan tells this wonderful Oscar story, we're also going to dig in with Julia about the film they made together last year, Fast Color, which is a fantastic original sci-fi film and a really grounded take on the superhero genre. But we're not just going to talk to Julie about Fast Color. We're going to talk to her about Miss Stevens, The Keeping Room, Stargirl, and many other creative collaborations that Julia and Jordan have worked on together. It's an unusually long conversation. Two people, not one. It's a better reflection of just how much fun they were to talk to and just how much sort of new information they're talking about for the first time. So without further ado, Jordan Horowitz and Julia Hart. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. All right, so let's, let's just jump in here and I will I will kick things off by we're going to ask the same question we ask every episode. What is the first movie you saw in the theater? And and it's not about what the movie was necessarily, although yes, we'd like to hear that, but like set the scene for us. First ever movie in a movie theater. Well, I don't know what mine was. I can tell you like the definitive movie theater moment of my childhood. That, that works. I feel like that's, that's, that's sort of the question because I I don't know that I I don't know that I explicitly remember what the first movie I think it might have been Snow White I like it, I remember going to the beach with a, a a friend of mine named Evan when I was very young and it started raining on the beach and his parents took us to see I have never heard this story continue this is amazing look this is what we do. First, first question out we're killing it yeah it's, it's, it, oh yeah his parents took us to see the the Disney 
Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. I have like a, I, and I'm remembering this kind of in real time, and I remember it was amazing. But like my real formative movie theater experience was the release of Back to the Future Two. I was mm. a huge Back to the Future fan, and like there was a very long gap between Back to the Future and Back to the Future. And Back to the Future was released when I was was a little too young for it, but then Back to the Future Two, I was like exactly the right age. And I remember, you know, there wasn't any online ticket buying or anything when right. we were kids, so. We went to the movie theater on the Friday night to get to go see it with my parents, and um, uh, it was sold out. And we saw some other movie. I, I always mean to look at what else was in theaters that weekend that it was opening because I don't remember what the other movie we saw was. I just remember it was in the theater upstairs um, at the at the local cinema we used to go to. Um, I have no idea what the movie was because all I was thinking about was how we had bought tickets for Back to the Future 2 for the next night. And I remember uh, leaving after whatever movie we saw, coming downstairs and being in the, like, right outside, uh, like, the movie theater that was playing Back to the Future 2 and peering through the, like, the little window in the doors in the back of the theater. And it was the scene where Marty... It, he's standing in the rain and he gets the, I didn't know what was happening, but it's that scene where he's standing in the rain and he gets the note from doc from the West or whatever it is. It like, it's like the end of the second act of, of back to the future too. And I remember watching it through that little glass um, rectangular screen and seeing that moment and being like, Oh my God, this is incredible. I need to know what's happening in this moment. And uh, the next night we went back and I found out what was happening in that moment. But um, Here's a, I, just, I remember peering through that, that, uh, that little window and seeing that moment and just like that for me was like movies um, and their power and just the pull of it. We got some background. You might have seen Parenthood or Batman instead during yeah. that weekend. Oh, nice. <laughs> um, it was probably Parenthood. I remember seeing Parenthood. Yeah, because I don't remember seeing Batman in the theater. But it also might have been something that was in its like second week of release. You know what I mean? It might not have opened that weekend. I so. think both of those were in the, like late in their release. But literally, right. yeah, I'm just looking. I'm looking at it too. It was number one it, was Back to Parenthood the Future Two. Feels- Parenthood and Batman were like like had been in theaters for like months at this point. Uh, yep. But we're still making money. Yep, Parenthood feels like maybe it was right. But that's I don't amazing. Know. Um, Julia, what about you? I don't remember explicitly what it was, but my, first of all, I really miss movie theaters right now. Right. Um, and, uh, yeah, cause we love, I mean, it's a whole event for us cause we have to get a babysitter, but man, do we love going to the movies when we, whenever we can. Um, my parents had this whole crazy ritual that they did where they would go see a movie first and then they would take my brother and me and I very explicitly remember them doing this with The Princess Bride and they had popcorn, quote-unquote popcorn moments where they thought I would be scared and my dad would take me out into the lobby to refill our popcorn. And I remember, similar to you, I don't know if I've ever told you this story. I've never heard this story. (laughs) This is is, is amazing. (laughs) Well, I had heard the Back to the Future story. I just hadn't heard the Snow White and the Rain story. Um, And similar to you, like, I remember, so my dad took me out to the lobby and I would, like, protest a little bit. But I was also a bit of a scaredy cat as a kid, so I'm sure I was fine with it ultimately. But I remember 
We were at the Beekman Theater in New York seeing Princess Bride. And my dad walked me out to the lobby to refill our popcorn. And I remember looking through the glass in the door back to the movie theater and seeing the R.O.U.S.'s and being terrified (laughs) and like running back to my dad to get the popcorn with him. Um, But then he took me once the rats of unusual size were off screen, rodents of unusual size were off screen. He took me back into the theater. I loved that movie. I remember sitting in the theater watching it too. Do you guys feel like those were the movies that made you love movies or were there others? Like, was there a a moment where you were like, back to the future was definitely for me. Like whenever anybody's like, what made you love movies? Back to the future was definitely the movie that I always cite as like, that was, that was really the, that's the movie that I can remember like earliest being like, Oh, movies, movies can do amazing things. Um, there were definitely other movies, but I, I wasn't, uh, you know, we, we didn't like, we didn't go to a ton of movies when I was a kid. We went to the movies, like, you know, an average American household in the suburbs go to the, goes to the movies, but it wasn't like extra. And we didn't have like a ton of movies at home. Um, I was much more, I was honest, I was much more into like, uh, putting on plays in my house than I was. Like, I wasn't the kid that was, um, um, that was like, I had a camp, like, I'm not a, like, I'm a producer. And I, I, I remember as a kid putting on plays and being really, it it was really important to me that I had like a, like a ticket stand Mm -hmm. and I would give my parents tickets and like show them to their seats and stuff, which like looking back on now, it's like, oh yeah, you were a producer. That that's yeah. sort of what you were doing. You were putting on shows. Um, but yeah, it was um Back to the Future was was definitely the thing that like got me into movies. But I, you know, I used to go to the theater all the time. We were I grew up in Westchester, uh, right outside Manhattan. We used to go to the theater all the time. Um, so like I had a real mix in my childhood of 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 going to the movies, but also seeing live theater and musicals and, and, and things like that. Julia was much more, you much more had movie nights with your family than, than I did. Yeah. I mean, this whole thing of my parents going to the movies twice, like it was so important to them that we have, my parents love movies and it was so important to them that we have good experiences with movies. And when we weren't going to the movie theater, we were, we would stop at the local video store. My folks had a house, outside the city. I grew up in New York too. And, um, we would stop at the little video store and we would each get to pick out a movie and then we would just stay in our, you know, play outside all day and then watch movies all night. For me, it was really uh, musicals. I think that first made me like singing in the rain and funny girl and, um, seven brides for seven brothers, like growing up, watching those made me want to make movies. You know, we're talking about both seeing movies in theaters and what a great experience that is, and also accessing movies via things like video stores, which was a great conduit to see films. I'm wondering for both of you, what is your ideal platonic movie going experience? And that's in a theater and at home. Where are you guys sitting? What is your snack situation? (laughs) We make popcorn when we watch movies at home. When we're in production, we try to watch, especially in prep, a bunch of movies to inspire us that are of the genre or that inspired um, the movie that we're making. And we totally make popcorn every night. We like Quinn. What is it? It's the rosemary and... 
sea salt yeah, flavor. Yeah. It's so good. Microwavable. Delicious. <laughs> but yeah, at home, just on our couch, you know, with popcorn and maybe like a little chocolate. Um, and then in the movie theater, again, popcorn. Sometimes I get a soda. I don't really drink a lot of soda, but at the movie theater, I let myself have a soda. I really like that. Um, oh, sorry. I really like that movie theaters now have wine. I really love getting a glass of wine with my popcorn. Sometimes I'll get the big glass, so, you know, so you don't have to get up and go back out to the lobby in the middle of the movie. It's yeah, quite a luxurious upgrade. <laughs> yeah, it's nice. Um, but then in terms of where we sit in the movie theater, I like sitting like, I like sitting center, like um, I like sitting in the middle of the 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 backish section, um, and like like probably eight rows up from where like the bottom aisle is before it gets into the like super front section. So just like as much in the center of the theater as as I can get, that that tends to be what I what I go for. So yeah, I'm. You can't see me because this is a podcast, but I'm tearing up right now. I just got like so sad thinking about not going to the movies. Yeah, and just like what you know, because I I also really love the at home movie viewing experience. There's something so magical about it, and I think for so many of us, you know, we saw like the great classic movies for the first time on a couch, you know, a videotape in a VCR, and that's an amazing experience. Like I was transported and you can be transported no matter where you're watching a great film, you can be transported and it can be a transcendent experience, but there's still nothing like the lights going down in a crowded movie theater and like somehow everybody eating popcorn isn't even annoying. It's just all a part of the, you know, the collective experience. And yeah, I like, who knows when we're going to get to do that again. It's crazy. We're gonna get back there. I have every confidence. Uh, yeah, kind of we, in that same vein. It's not going away. It's not going away. We'll get back there. Kind of in that same vein, you know, we were talking about uh, interesting ways of seeing movies and how it can be great to see a movie in a theater, but also you can have these kind of major experiences with films outside of that traditional environment. Can you guys? Do you have a particular moment of like a really weird way you saw a movie, like in a swimming pool or at a bar or on a tour bus things like that yes oh my god I am such i'm a giving i'm giving this to her <laughs> this, this is like it's it's almost like you and i talked about this and you set me up for this um i was in my so my grandparents before they passed away lived in texas my dad's from texas and when I was little, I would be in, we would spend our summers there and I would be in the church musical production. Like all the kids were played by kids and we did the music man one summer and I was like townsfolk, towns child number six or something. And because there were so many scenes where we weren't, and I was probably like six or seven. And because there were so many scenes that the kids weren't in, in the church basement, they would put on movies for us and they put on Jaws. <laughs> the first time I saw Jaws was in a church basement in Texas in like a turn of the century period costume for the music man. And it was so bizarre. <laughs> 
because we were like the cast was like between like five and like 12 and they just put on jaws for us i wanted to be like yeah. did they think it was like a cute shark movie for kids <laughs> Yeah, it sounds like they did not pre-screen it like your parents had. No, and I remember being terrified and so transported. And it was on this like tiny little TV and it was terrifying. And I would not go in any body of water for a very long time. Was this immediately preceding the performance or like during rehearsals? It was in the middle of the performance. They would like press play and pause when we went on stage. And then like when, because I guess they didn't have anyone to like watch us. So they wanted to give us something to do. I've definitely told you that story. (laughs) I'm just stuck by this image of like a bunch of kids coming back on stage, having just seen Jaws, like eat everything. And they're just paralyzed. Everyone's forgotten their lines. Someone's crying. Uh, Meanwhile, like the, like the sort of like very serious musical theater adult is like trying to keep the show going. Yeah. It was really intense. Like there were definitely tears. And kids were, like, traumatized, (laughs) myself included. One of my favorite movies now, but at the time I was terrified by it. I feel like that's the right age to see Jaws, though. Like, you need to be a little bit traumatized for it to, like, really have the full experience. I feel like Kate was watching horror movies at, like, eight, so no one should take her advice, by the way, And that was the beginning of my lifelong crush on Roy Scheider as well. It's true. She has an enormous (laughs) crush on Roy Scheider. (laughs) This is the kind uh, of gossip we're looking for in this podcast. Uh, I don't have anything that good. I, I, I mean, what comes to mind is watching He-Man Masters of the Universe at camp. I don't know if that's, uh, uh, but that you know, it was like they had movie night, their movie days when it was raining at camp. Um, for whatever reason, that's the one that sticks in my head. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't know that I can think of any like weird first time experiences seeing movies i remember seeing la bamba at a movie theater in maine when i was on vacation in like kennebunkport with my aunt (laughs) and crying that was the first time i cried in a movie i can tell you that for sure la bamba was like the first time i remember being like whoa marion um yeah that was the first time that i remember like like crying and being like, why am I like, what, what's happening? And how, why, why is this thing doing this to me? Um, again, not a, not a weird situation, but I'm just trying to think of like, um, like movie experiences of my childhood that were like that, that imprinted on me in some way. Well, how about That's this? We'll go, weird. we'll fast forward a little bit. Um, do you guys remember the first movie that you wanted to show each other or any significant movie dates between the two of you? I, I, we, I, <laughs> wait, are we thinking? Wow, yeah, I, I think we, so I'm going to do the color commentary on what I'm seeing, which is <laughs> literally Julia laughing so hard. She almost fell off the couch. <laughs> uh, the, Jordan the proceed. Movie- well, she knew she she knew. I mean, it's not that funny. She just knew <laughs> what movie I was going to say because she was like, what is it? And then she remembered. And that's what was funny. But um, the first movie that I was like, I have to show it to you was Strosek, the um, uh, the Herzog film, um, yeah. which was like which which was and still is like a, a movie I absolutely adore. But it was a movie that I, I took a, a German cinema class in college and it really like again one of those moments because I, I wasn't like I didn't watch a ton of movies growing like in high school 
And then I got to college and started like expanding my film vocabulary because I was I was in theater and I was a theater major in college. Um, so I was very into the, I read a lot of theater in, in high school. I, 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 I was pretty, I had a pretty broad knowledge of, of theater and plays, um, in high school and then into college, but movies really opened up and started blossoming for me in, 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 in college when I started taking some film classes. And that was definitely one of the movies that I was like, whoa, movies can be like anything. They can be more than what I thought they could be. And that movie just really affected me. Um, and so when we, um, when we first met, I, I remember being like, this is the movie you like, you've never seen this movie. That's crazy. Like, obviously like putting on this show of like, "Ah, I know so much about movies. Um, and, uh, and I showed it to her and I don't know that you loved it Uh -uh. as much as I wanted you to, though. We should probably, you should watch it again. We haven't rewatched it together. Um, yeah, the end is insane. I mean, the movie's amazing. I didn't love it. The movie's wild. Yeah, we need to have Julia weigh in on the experience. For people out there who don't know what this movie is, it's a a Herzog film that um, is from the, like, I think it's the mid-70s. Someone can do some research and tell me the exact year. But um, uh, it's about a German man and his uh, girlfriend who moved to Wisconsin in the mid-70s into a trailer park in America. And it's sort of this, like... Isn't there a chicken? That's at the end. There's a chicken at the end. But um, but it's basically this like really amazing. And the germ the, the German is 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 Bruno S, who is a, a schizophrenic um, that Herzog found in a mental institution in in Germany and put in a number of his movies. And um, and him and this woman moved to and this old man who speaks no English moved to Wisconsin in the mid seventies in a trailer park and they don't really speak much English and it's this really odd look at America in the mid seventies. Um, and it's beautifully made and just uber weird. Um, but super good. Uh, and this like really awesome time capsule of what America was in the seventies, not from an American point of view. Jordan has this adorable, but unfortunate habit of ruining things by getting too excited about them. Um, and I think that movie was a victim of that. Like he talked it up so much yeah, that there was no way it couldn't be disappointing. So I think maybe it's like 20 years later, not 20 years later. How long have we been together? 15 years. Like 35 years. <laughs> 65 years later, I think it's time to rewatch it together. Yeah, I would totally rewatch it. But yeah, it's it's definitely not the kind of movie you should like talk up because it's real weird. <laughs> it's real weird and like almost experimental. So, <laughs> Julia, how about you? Anything in particular? You were like, I have to show this to Jordan. Oh my God, so many movies. There were so many musicals. I had yeah. Seen, well, so. the fir- the thing, the one of the earliest memories before we lived together, like when we were very early on dating, and you had that, you were in that apartment with Aaron. Mm-hmm. And you had that like tiny TV. I remember watching Alice Doesn't Live Here Anymore. Mm-hmm. You had a VHS of it? Because we definitely watched like a VHS of it. Maybe, yeah. Um, and I remember loving it. I have a very like romantic memory of us watching that together. Well, what was that? Wasn't a movie that you. <clears throat> no, no, no. We'd, I'd never, yeah, seen never seen it. Um, I. So when he was first developing La La Land with um, Damien and Fred and Justin. Because again, like I grew up, musicals were like my first passion in film. Um, I like set up this whole little film festival for you because you hadn't seen a lot of them. It was so fun. Um, what did we watch? We watched 
Sweet Charity and Funny Face and all that jazz, which isn't which technically a musical. You had seen that? Um, what else did Funny Girl sing in the rain? What else did we watch? I'm trying to think of some of the more obscure ones. And of course, now I'm drawing a blank on everything. Yeah. But a movie that I was like, you have to watch this movie that you'd never seen, that it took me like a long time to get you to watch was Two for the Road. Yeah. I kept being like, you have to watch this movie. It's one of my favorite movies. And you finally, and you loved it. In general, Julia has like a bunch of movies that are her favorite movies that I'm like, oh, okay, fine, fine. We'll watch them. (laughs) And then like inevitably, and like it takes forever. And then she's like, we could watch this tonight. And I'm just like, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. And then inevitably it's like, wow, this is my new favorite movie. That happens a lot. We're going to come back to that new favorite movie conversation in just a minute. But Jordan, I have to ask about the moment at the 2017 Academy Awards with La La Land. I was there. I was in the press room. I don't know room. what you're talking about. <laughs> I was there. I was in the press room. And it's among the craziest things that I've ever experienced. So I can't even begin to imagine what that moment was like for you. Uh, walk us through what that kind of you know, what went through your mind in those moments, if you can even sort of calibrate what that looked like? What was your sort of immediate reaction? Because you kind of stepped in and saved the day, my friend. I, you know, I, I have to credit Julia with a lot of it. (laughs) Because when Julia says she knew something was wrong when like, uh, when like Warren and, and, and Faye were like kind of pausing before they announced the winner the first time. She, she says she knew something was wrong. I thought they were just, like, I, I remember very, very, um, I have a, a very, like, firm memory of thinking that, like, it was, like, a, a, a gag that they were yeah. doing, like, in a bit that they were doing. Um, because, like, what else could it have been, you know? And, uh, 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 and I remember they said La Land, and I, like, I, I yelled really loudly, um, in and excitement. in excitement, like <laughs> I was like, yeah. And Julia like turned to me and she like took my shoulders and she was like, what did you say exactly? Well, it's definitely not what you're supposed to say to your partner when they win an Oscar. <laughs> but like, <laughs> I just, just It might be a mistake. <laughs> no, I literally like I had this. I just I my intuition's crazy. And I just I had this feeling that some, I had also thought Moonlight was going to win anyway. And so when that happened, I was just like something's up here and he went like Wah! and I literally did like the worst thing but I guess ultimately the best thing a wife could do which is I literally grabbed my Oscar winning in that moment husband's shoulders and looked him in the eye and said calm down <laughs> that is amazing yeah and and he like gave me this look and I was like okay okay and I like took a breath and I was like okay you're right I will because I I, I you know we had had lots of conversations about like if we win, like who talks first and all this stuff. And, and so I was, I was the one that was going to talk and that just, you know, was the, the luck of the draw of like what had happened the pre, the rest of the award season. And then, so I went up there and I spoke and, um, I remember right after I spoke, I remember seeing the, the stage manager guy run onto the, um, onto the stage and in that moment, like clearly something was up. Um, and I had been, this is some good background. I had been collecting the um, the envelopes from the times that we'd won. Like we won a BAFTA, we won the Golden Globes and the PGAs. And um, 
uh, I had had all the envelopes that said Lawland on them. And so I was in the habit of getting those and I was going to make like a little like collage and like a poster for whatever, something like that. And so I had the envelope that um, I guess Warren Beatty had given me when I when I got up there to speak and I was holding it. And I remember the guy came on stage and was like kind of running around and like talking quietly into his headset. And we were all kind of like starting to look around like, why is this happening? But people were, you know, people were still talking. Nobody was, nobody knew what was going on. And then they, I remember the moment of, he came to me and he was like, let me see your envelope. And I showed it to him when he pulled it out, it said Emma's name on it. And I remember in that moment, the the words that I remember thinking were black magic, like like uh like like some kind of crazy through some kind of like crazy alchemy, someone had stopped time and switched the envelope <laughs> that was in my hand because clearly the envelope that was in my hand because like none of us knew at that time that there were two envelopes right, right. so so and I knew Emma had her her envelope that had her name in it. So how could there, how could I possibly be holding an envelope that Emma had, that Emma had, and we, and so it was just like, someone stopped time, took the envelope out of my hand and gave me this one and took Emma's away from her and gave it to me. And like, that was the, that was, that was the most logical thought I could, I could come (laughs) up with in that moment. And then, and then like, Things started like dithering around and I saw Warren Beatty go off stage and then he came back on stage and I remember him holding up like another envelope and then the stage manager Kai came and I think Kimmel came on stage. I don't remember exactly. And they all opened that one and looked at it and it said Moonlight. And I was looking over their shoulder. If you look at the footage, you can see me like looking over their shoulder while they're all looking at the envelope. And at that moment, it was just like, oh, we didn't win an Oscar. Like this was a mistake and this happened. And Clearly, there was like, like the energy on stage was just like nobody knew what to do or what was happening, or and people were kind of hesitating. And my like producer brain kicked in. I was like, "There's a mistake, and this needs to be fixed as soon as possible." Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for the award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. 
example. I'm sorry. No. This, there's a mistake. Moonlight, you guys won Best Picture. Moonlight won. Come on, this is not a joke. Come this on. is not a joke. I'm afraid they read the wrong thing. This is not a joke. Moonlight has won Best Picture. Moonlight, Best Picture. I would like to see you get an Oscar anyway. Why can't we just give I, out a whole bunch I, of them? I, I'm going to be really proud to hand this to my friends from Moonlight. That's nice of you. That's very nice. And so I went up there and I was like, there's a mistake, whatever, you know, the thing I said. And I could tell, I remember being able to tell that nobody believed me in the audience. And I was like, how do I make people believe me? And I saw Warren out of my left, like corner of my eye, like coming up with the envelope. And I was like, oh, they need to see it. And I remember looking at the camera straight back and I was like, I hope this cameraman, I remember the thought, I was like, I hope this cameraman knows what to do right now. And so I grabbed it from him and I put it forward and like that cameraman nailed it. And it was just like zoomed in on the thing. Yeah, and then, then everybody was like, oh, this is real. Cause like, that was the only, everybody needed like physical proof of it. And you could just feel it in the room. And so once that happened, then it was like, oh, this is real. And then everything started kind of, sorting itself out but it was just like there is a problem solve it as quickly as possible which is again producer brain at what point did you then realize that you had become a meme uh I, you know well what i what i mean is it's like look that happened because i was funny i just, I just want to say i just want to say something first because he's being very humble which is typical As, of him. Yeah, entirely typical um and uh you know i i as as he said, like I had a feeling something wasn't right. Like my spidey sense was just tingling, and so I told him to calm down because I just had this feeling like he was going to need to just keep it together because something might be happening. But he still like there were a lot of people on that stage, and he just took the initiative. And I think a lot of that was because you know, you, you genuinely care about the right thing being made clear as quickly as possible. He just, you know, that was, that was his priority in that moment. And, you know, I think anyone in this industry would be lying if they said their dream wasn't to win an Oscar for their work someday. And he had his professional dream come true live on television in front of millions of people. And then, had it taken away live on television in front of millions of people, not taken away. It was never his, but you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and handled it so graciously and humbly. Um, and I think a lot of that too was because you genuinely love the people who won and you love their movie and there wasn't any bitterness or anger. It was just like, this is the right thing that needs to happen. And these are the people who won it. Because that was the thing, too, like in retrospect, and I'll answer your question in a second, but because I know exactly the moment when <laughs> I realized that, but um, was like there had been this like buildup of, you know, in the in the media and on yeah. social media, places of like La La Land and Moonlight, and like it got like very ugly outwardly, yeah. but it was never ugly, like in inwardly you know like with with the the films and with all those people because like no you when, guys were all friends i mean i, I remember that award season watching you guys hang out at every exactly. party after every award it, show exactly. like you go through that thing and you just become close to not only them but everybody else that is yeah. going through that award season it's like this weird little 
you know, award season is a cottage industry and there are a bunch of people that are involved in it. And you become friends with all those people. And yeah. it feels it feels much, you know, she's saying like in front of millions of people and on the thing, it's like I, those thoughts never crossed my mind. It was just like the same, it, I was in a room with the people I'd been in a room with for six months. You know what right. I mean? So it was like, okay, this is what's happening in this room and this is what's, you know, what's going to continue happening. So, um, but the moment I realized that, <laughs> Was when we were after we after it happened. I remember I left the stage, and like you know, the Moonlight people came on, accepted the award, and then it kind of ended. And I remember asking a stage manager, like, like I just like kind of was backstage by myself for a minute, like not knowing what was going on. <laughs> and I and was, then I, I was looking everywhere for you. Yeah, like, she I was in the audience still. You. And I remember like going to another stage manager I never seen. I was like, is it is the show over? Can I go? <laughs> Can I leave? And she was like, yeah, yeah, you can go on stage. And I remember I like walked back on stage and hopped off, I, like hopped off of the stage into the audience and Julia was there. And I walked up to her and she was like, do you know what just happened? And I was like, I think so. And I was like, yeah, was I think I just lost little, an Oscar. <laughs> yeah, but like, I, 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 I guess I didn't really know what had just happened. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And like, I was like, yeah, like there was a mistake. And, like they won, we didn't. And it was just like a little shocking. And then we went outside and like Ryan was standing there. I remember talking to him right outside the theater and there were just like all these people kind of like looking at us. And I just, I don't really, I don't really remember what we talked about. And then I remember we, she was like, do you want to go to the governor's ball? And I was like, yeah, I think I should. And she was like, are you sure? You and I was like, to, you were like, I want to see. Oh yeah. I was like, I want to see the moonlight guys. I want to go see them and like, like give them a hug and, and girls. And, <laughs> um, and so she was like, okay, l let's go. And so there's from the theater to where the governor's ball is, there's like a bunch of escalators. Yeah. And I remember we were on the escalator and like, I hadn't checked my phone. I hadn't done anything. I was just kind of like wandering around and Julia pulled out her phone <laughs> And she was and like, was like <laughs> and it was just like blowing up. And then she went on to Twitter and she was like, you just gained like 15,000 followers. And like, I, and I was like, really? Why? And she, and she was like, this is like a big thing. We were both pretty shocked. And we were both pretty shocked. And I just remember like standing on the escalator. I remember moving either down or up on the escalator and like having this realization that like this was bigger than what I maybe thought had happened because I hadn't really processed it. And then we got to the governor's ball and like press just like on me. And then I remember Julia being like, are you sure you can talk to press right now? And I was like, sure. Why, why wouldn't I be able to? And she definitely like helped me. Like, I was like standing. I was like, I was like his publicist all of a sudden. Yeah. Cause I was just, I was worried about him. Like it's a big, I, you know, I could tell he was in shock. Like, it's really intense, even if everything goes the way you want it to on that stage. And to have that happen and to have the reaction be so quickly what it was, I was just worried that some, you know, someone was going to like push him or, or lead him or, you know, and I just wanted to make sure he felt safe and comfortable. So I was just kind of like standing right next to him while yeah. he was doing like, and you ended up doing a bunch of interviews, which was so, the whole thing was just so yeah. bizarre. And I remember getting your email, Franklin. That was yeah, like, I actually, that I was just, a really, that was like genuinely a highlight of our night because it was very centering and kind um, of you to reach out in the way that you did amidst all of that. Well, it's funny because I pulled it up. 
uh, right before we got on uh, the phone. And it literally, because I remember, so I was in the BBC, I was doing commentary for the BBC that night. And it was funny because I had been telling Adela Romanski, one of the producers of Moonlight, that like I just had this instinct that they were going to win. And I had told right. her that like after Toronto, right? Right, right? And it was one of those things you say like, look, I don't know that there's any justice in the world, but your movie is amazing. I think you're going to win Best Picture. And then she was like, that's, that's very flattering, but no. And I had sent her an email immediately after it was announced that you guys had won, being like, well, I guess I was wrong, but still congratulations. <laughs> and then hit send. And as I hit send, you said, there's been a mistake. Uh, and so I sent a second email that was like, I told you so, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> And then literally the next email that I sent, because I didn't have your email address, Jordan, but I had right. Julia's and I was like, please forward this to, to Jordan. And it was literally, it was like, I know it's not an Oscar, but please know the way you handle that situation is like the greatest exercise in class I've ever seen <laughs> in like a truly singular moment in world history. Um, and so may that, like maybe you rewarded many times over for that. Um, and then it was crazy because within minutes, you were like trending number one on Twitter. Uh, you sort of immediately became like a sort of white hero of black Twitter. Uh, because the other thing I remember was in those interviews that you did later that night, people kept trying to ask you about it and you kept putting the conversation, the focus back on Moonlight, yeah. which yeah. was, it, it was one thing to be like, hold up, everything's wrong, they won. But to be like, guys, I should not be the focus here. Right, right. Call Barry, that, call Terrell. Yeah, and that was really... Ultimately, was and we had we had talked about that when we were kind of like heading over to the governor's ball. But like it, 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 it was yeah. It, and then it became like in those interviews that happened, and then like there was like the second wave of like, come on our show, like Anderson Cooper wants to have you as a guest, right. and I was like, I don't think so. You know, like I, I think I did a couple more after that. Like, like I think I did a like a print thing, just like did an interview and I did a call or two. But after that, I was like, no more. If you want to talk to anyone, talk to the Moonlight people. Right. So, well, and the funniest part was, so three days later, I guess, when you had time to respond to everything, I did get an email from you and you were like, yeah, I'm in New Mexico back on set for Julia's new movie. Yeah. Because yeah. uh, you, you just literally like flew out that night. Yeah. Uh, we or flew the out next like day. Two, we flew out like, because I was flying back and forth a bunch while she, while we were prepping that movie. And I was flying back and forth for events. And then she obviously flew with me for the Oscars. Well, and it was funny because we, Adela was actually shooting the girlfriend experience That's also right. in Albuquerque. And we had had dinner. And I took this like super cute picture of the two of them at dinner in Albuquerque being like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Being like, see you at the Oscars in a few days. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, uh, and yeah. And then like she, you know, went. Like we all went back to Albuquerque yeah. just to keep working. And then I had dinner with her again like a week later after it all happened. It was nice to just like, you know, it, it was it was nice to be out of L.A. right after that happened. I bet. And I still like I still got recognized a little bit in in Albuquerque, but not yeah. as much as I think it would have happened in L.A. And yeah. even to even to this day, especially when I'm not wearing a hat because I wear a hat a lot. But right. when I'm not, I have a very like noticeable bald head and beard and I'm tall and um uh and very handsome uh, and um people will come up to me and they'll be like I where do I I where do I where do we know each other from because like nobody knows why they know me right but they but definitely people, have it burned into they their like, head no they know me and they're like don't you know my friend Joe you know and I was like I don't know that I know your friend Joe but it's so. funny because you say the thing about a singular moment in history and I feel like because it happened when it did that was part of why 
people were talking about it so much because we were literally in the midst of the, like, the horrific consequences of fake news. Because um, it was, he was elected right. in November, right? Yeah. And it was then. Yeah, that's yeah. right. That was like weeks after the inauguration. Yeah. yeah. And, um, and just like the concreteness of that envelope of that card, you know, yeah. and the like proof and things being in writing and people thinking it was like a hoax or a spectacle or whatever, um, you know, and just how important, how important that is in today's world facts. <laughs> and now I'm just thinking about like all of those people gathered in a room. Like, how insane is that? <laughs> it's true. I want to talk to you guys about working together and, and specifically in the context of Fast Color. Like, you know, obviously, Julia, you wrote and directed it. Jordan, you're a producer on the film. For a lot of people, that's horrifying. Like the idea of working with their sort of life partner on a creative enterprise. Um, and But it seems to work like a dream for you guys just as a sort of external observer. Yeah, it definitely works really well for us. We have um uh we have very complementary skills, but actually as it turns out we're a lot more similar than we thought we were, which is just something we're discovering really over the past year or so. Um in a variety of ways, but um but yeah, in terms of like our our skill sets as creatives, um, and as artists, I think we are very complimentary. Um, you know, we write together, uh, I produce and she directs and, uh, it's like, um, it's like having two brains, but also we know where, uh, we know where we each individually prioritize and it just kind of fits really well. Um, we don't get bored of each other, which is crazy um because we really do spend literally literally 24, 24 hours a day together and even like before even before, even before this. this well i mean we we sort of had it good going into this because it's like we were already spending 24 hours a day, a day together so it's like we were kind of used to it uh yeah, and so it's not much of a change for us i think i think about some couples right now who are used to spending like a couple hours a day together who are having to spend 24 seven and how intense yeah. that is and between our working together and having two little kids we are definitely stuck with each other all the time anyway. <laughs> it's true. It's funny though, because a lot of people who we have met since we've been working together, assume that we met in the industry um, and just kind of like happened to have complementary skill sets or whatever. But I was an assistant third grade teacher in Brooklyn when we met. And you were an assistant to a producer and um, started like the first thing we did was write this short film and try to make it with our friends, which is a total disaster. (laughs) But, um, uh, you know, we've now made four movies that I directed together and we made another movie that I wrote and you produced that I didn't direct. So really we've made five movies together at this point. Um, and really like you were obviously producing a long time while I was still teaching. Um, but really sort of developed as opposed to being two people who came as writer, director, producer, writer with their own habits and ways of working, we really created, we became those things together. Like we became screenwriters together and developed our, our ways of being and our ways of working together. And I think that's a huge part of the reason it works so well. Mm-hmm. So I want to talk about a little bit about fast color. Cause it's a, for me, it's a, um, 
a case study in a lot of things in this business. And I remember you guys inviting me to see a, probably an early cut of it. And yeah. I think I, 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 for whatever reason, I had to be home like immediately afterwards. So I remember I couldn't stay for the Q&A. And I basically was like, yeah, congratulations. It's going to sell for a lot of money. Uh, it's it's like a comic book movie, but like the indie version is just super cool. Gugu and Batha Ra is obviously amazing. Uh, well done. Like I'll see you at the big Hollywood premiere. Uh, <laughs> and then like months later, I remember getting like an email or a phone call from you, Jordan, and being like, hey, can we talk about this? Because everybody seems to like it, but we're no one's buying this movie. Yeah. And I'm curious if you could talk a little bit about the experience of putting it into the marketplace. I mean, and 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 also just like pre like preface that with explaining what fast color is because I think it's still one of those things that not enough people have seen, and they should all go see the feature even before we get to the, the feature is now available on Amazon Prime. So there we go. Uh, it is it is good uh, quarantine viewing content. quarantine it content. Is very good quarantine content. Go. If you haven't seen it. Check it out on Amazon Prime. Um, uh, yeah, we made it uh, right after the Oscars. right after the Oscars, <laughs> and um, you know, it's yeah, it's a movie that we that we wrote that stars Guggenbach, Rollo, Interessant, and Sinai Sydney and David Strathairn and Chris Denham, and it's kind of a a very character forward movie about three generations of black women who have extraordinary abilities. And, you know, obviously we're both white. Um, and we were, when we first started, like that that wasn't the intention of the piece. Um, and it becoming that, man, have we both learned a lot about ourselves and art and the world at large um, and the way in which we can all be more inclusive and creative in our story to uh, us white people can be more inclusive and creative in our storytelling. Um, but basically like while we were coming up with the character of Ruth in this scenario that we wanted to start to explore and see if this world and these abilities could turn into something um, we, we saw beyond the lights for the first time. And we were just like, that's because her, if, if you haven't seen the movie, that's another movie to watch. Gina Prince by the Wood is such an incredible filmmaker, and Gugu's performance in that movie is so phenomenal. And we'd never seen Gugu before, so if you haven't seen her before, it's particularly arresting because the transformation is like one in a million to female actors get to play a part with a transformation like Gugu gets to go through in that film. Um, and we were just like, that's this character. And so it started out, you know, as a story about the power of mothers and of communities of women then in casting Gugu, um, you know, Gugu's mother in real life, her mother is white and her father is black. Um, and we wanted to stay somewhat true to what her actual, um, race was in the casting of her parents. But I have been a, <laughs> I have been the number one, uh, the head of the Lorraine Toussaint fan club for many, many years. And so the idea of getting to have her play Gugu's mother, and then we cast David as her father and, and it, you know, it, it went on from there. And it, what was so cool about it was that it was ultimately just this very organic, you know, it's now a TV show that we're developing with Viola and Julius um, and uh, Amazon and, you know, it is like inherent to the storytelling now. And as we talk about developing the TV show is 
black women and that and and it came to that place so so organically which was such a um which is you know we feel we feel really lucky and grateful for how it all came together uh, but so yeah bringing it to the marketplace um you know, we cut it and for a minute we were toying with like, should we go to fall festivals? But fall festivals are a tough place to try to sell a movie. And so we ultimately didn't do that. And then we did not get into Sundance um, with with that movie. Um, and that was, that was the last year of old regime Sundance too. It's yeah. obviously now run by um, some different people who, you know, women mostly who I think have different ideas about the types of stories that deserve to be at Sundance. Yeah. And you know, they, they've taken really great strides, especially over the past couple of years. Um, so it didn't get into Sundance. Um, you know, Julia who's on her fourth movie has never had a movie at Sundance. And I, 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 I think it's important to talk about that because I think people put a lot of, um, uh, put a lot of weight on like launching careers out of Sundance. Um, South by has been the festival that, you know, Miss Stevens, her first movie was at South by fast caller then was also at South by Janet is amazing. Um, she programs incredible, uh, incredible work, uh, an incredibly, uh, diverse group of filmmakers, uh, have come out of there. Um, and, um, you know, it, it is a great festival, but it's a very large festival. Um, and getting, uh, there isn't a ton of press on the ground the, the way there is at Sundance. There certainly aren't a ton of buyers on the ground the way there are at Sundance. And it's not that it's not that like pressure cooker thing that Sundance creates um, in terms of being a sales market. Um, it's a much slower sales market. And like we knew that going in, but we did the, the premiere, um, you know, at the Paramount theater on a day of all movies directed by women. And, um, uh, it was great. Barry did the Q and A afterwards, um, you know, because he was there giving the keynote, and it was amazing. And the the people seemed to really love the movie. We got a bunch of really great reviews out of the uh, out of that premiere. And then it was just kind of like, and and a, a definitely a bunch of people uh, who were there at South by because South by doesn't get the people that are the heads of the company to come. It's like the acquisition exec who answers to a marketing person who answers to the head of the company. So it's like two to three to four rungs down the decision maker ladder that are the people that really ultimately come to South by. Um, and we had done some pre-screenings for people, though not a ton, but you know, some, and there were people that were interested, but like, weren't sure. And then we did the screening at South by and people really liked the movie. And, you know, we're like, well, my boss has got to see it or this person's got to see it or that person's got to see it. And, you know, a lot of these people that are that are the number threes at companies, a lot of women, a lot of young people, a lot of um, a lot of people of color. Um, but inevitably, as you go up the ladder, it was mostly white men that were that were making the decisions about if they were going to buy the movie or not for the um, for the company. And I would say. Ninety percent of the responses we eventually got back as we kind of screened the movie up these ladders, what inevitably came back either from a marketing person um, who was usually a white guy or the head of the company who was usually a white guy, there were maybe one, one or two exceptions um, was we just don't know who this movie is for. That was, it was those words. Like I saw those words in an email over and over and over again. And they would never say it to me directly. They said it to the sales agent and then the sales agent would write me. They, you know, the response is just like the last one. Like they just don't know who this movie is for. 
And it became one of those things that it was just like, hmm, is that because they genuinely don't know who the movie's for or because they just kind of don't see themselves in the movie and so they aren't sure how to sell it? And eventually um, this company, Code Black, who was at the time um, uh, owned by Lionsgate and was an internal distribution company uh, at Lionsgate and um, was run by an African-American man, really liked the movie and he was like – and I had relationships there because of La La Land and um, – he really responded to the movie and was like, I know how to sell this to our audience, but also we think it can cross over and be a bigger movie and Lionsgate will support it. And, and we were like, okay, this feels like it could be a, a good situation for the movie. Like it's been a long road. Nobody is really engaged with it in the right way or understood how to take it out into the marketplace. But like this company, especially with some like real studio backing, if it works out, this could be a good a good play. So let's go down that road. Um, and so we did go down that road and, you know, we didn't make any kind of like big splashy deal. We just kind of had, you know, the guarantee of some real marketing of some real money behind it. And like just doing, doing the movie justice, we thought. And then we released a trailer and a poster. Like the, that process was amazing um, in terms of putting the creative together. If you go look at the first trailer, look at the poster for the movie, like they're good materials. And, um, they came out and people were excited about it. And then about a week and a half and we had our release date and it was like, uh, I think the original release date was like sometime in mid March of, um, of 2019. Um, and, um, uh, that was all set. And we like had a bunch of like screenings that we were setting up a bunch of like tastemaker stuff, like re like really good. We had good PR on board. Like we were building it really well. And then, I read in like we were away for a weekend. We were at the Palm Springs Film Festival doing a Q and A for yeah um, for, for Fast Color for Fast Color for the movie. Um, and this was this was like in January or whenever it was that we um that we were doing this and the trailer had come out like the week before or whatever. And um uh I I, I like I got one of those deadline breaking emails that like Lionsgate lays off a whole bunch of people and then like buried at the bottom of it was like and also Code Black is no longer a company. And that was the first that we'd heard of it. And suddenly I was just like, wait, wait it's not a company. Like, like it's not a Lions getting like, what does this mean? And so, you know, I made a couple calls and they were like, Oh no, don't worry. It's not the right. Like I got a little bit of the runaround at first. It was like, eh, it's not the right information. We're figuring it out. We're doing this, we're doing that. And then like a day went by and a couple but days also, went by. I think it's, I think it's important to say too, like, the people at Code Black also that was how they found out about it. Like true. they weren't keeping that information from us. Like everyone at Code Black from start to finish was so amazing and we loved working with all of them. And it was news the the whole thing was like such a mess. Yeah. And so, you know, then a, a week went by and another week by and it became really clear that like uh like this movie wasn't gonna be released on the timetable that that we had set out and like everything that we had started to build was now kind of coming apart. And so we kind of hit the pause button for a couple weeks while Code Black and Lionsgate figured out what exactly their relationship was going to be, what they were going to do with us and one other title that I think they were releasing. Eventually, I called uh, a friend of mine, you know, who runs distribution at Lionsgate, who, again, I knew because of Lawland. And ultimately, the the decision that we made was to, and I know that like people have sort of 
criticized the movie for being released, you know, in 20 theaters without any marketing in these market. But like that was a strategic decision for the life of the movie, ultimately, because I knew that he could get it into those theaters because of who Lionsgate was um, and getting it into those theaters in that many markets like that was the most we were ever going to be able to do. But what that would do and because it was a traditional theatrical release, that would trigger at least all the critics in those marketplaces would have to review the movie and it would be a traditional theatrical release. So people would review the movie. And so our hope was that people would like the movie. And if we could do this traditional theatrical release and force it into theaters, because it was never going to get better, right? Like it was always going to be pretty broken at that point. So it was like, let's just get it into these theaters so we can at least get some exposure so that maybe in in the world that we live in where there are so many windows for people seeing these movies, people will see these movies, will eventually find the movie. And what was so crazy about that ultimately is that because it had pretty much zero marketing and was only in 20 theaters, you know, people were the people who were going to those theaters to see it were discovering it because of word of mouth and recommendation and Twitter. Like there were some really amazing um, people on Twitter who talked about the movie, who had a good amount of followers and that sent a lot of people to see it. I was getting tweets and direct messages from people who were driving. Like I had these, these two women who told me they drove six hours to go see it in a theater. Um, And so that was really, that was really as like, heartbreaking as it was like to see in this day and age people who can turn on their tv and have a million choices like going on road trips to buy a ticket to see it in a theater um was like weirdly very special ultimately and very um galvanizing and inspiring and now we come to like the the like the like somewhat happy ending of the yeah, story. Yeah, I was going to say, and there is yeah. a happy ending to the well, story. And, and, and I have to thank like, God. There's a happy ending in a, in a, in a, in a, in a way that has to do with fast color, but also with just generally the work that we do. So the one company that did see it when we were doing pre-screenings right around, um, uh, uh, the South by Southwest time, I think they, they either saw it right before, or right after. I don't remember. Um, was Amazon, right? And Ted Hope and, and Scott Fondas at Amazon um, saw the movie and like loved it, loved it, loved it. But that time in 2019 was right when I think Jen had either just started or was about to start. And there was definitely like a freeze on them buying movies for a minute because of all the transitions that were happening there. Um, and they were like, they were really clear. They were like, we really love this movie. We cannot buy movies right now. And it, it doesn't make sense. We have a pretty full slate this year. It doesn't really make any sense. And there's transitions and it's just like, we can't, we can't do it. However, we think it would be a great TV show. Can we send it to our people on the TV side? And also, what do you want to do next? Um, those were, that's what came back from, from Scott and from Ted. And we were like, okay, definitely send it to the TV people. We think that's a cool idea. We would love to, to have that conversation. And also, here's this script that we've been writing for the past four years that we really love. Um, and um, why don't you check it out? Because we really would love to make this next. Um, cut to, uh, like, within a week, the TV people had seen it, called us, called our agents, and they were like, we love this movie. We want to buy it. We want to develop it as a television show. And we were like, cool, let's do it. So we went in, we met them. You know, we hadn't really thought about it as a TV show, but, you know, we kind of come up, came up with a couple – ideas for for what we wanted to do they bought it we're still writing it because we then also they bought the movie that we sent them and then we made it 
last year. So uh, it's this movie, I'm Your Woman, that Rachel Brosnahan stars in that'll be out uh, at the end of this year um, that we made with Amazon. Um, and all of that came from them having seen Fast Color. So like I say all of these companies with all these people that like didn't know about the movie, but like Amazon was very straight ahead about like what they could do with the movie and what they wanted to do with us as artists. And they were very true to their word and did everything they said they were going to do, which was awesome. Yeah. And as Jordan said, like the only reason we're a little behind on the TV show is because, well, one, we were making another movie for Disney plus when all of this was happening. Um, And then we made uh, I'm your woman. So we're in quarantine working on the pilot right now. Well, not right now, but. Well, let's talk about I know Kate. Kate, I think Kate. Kate, let's talk about Star Girl. Yeah, I think Kate- that's a great moment to pivot. You know, um, it's great that services like Disney Plus are allowing films like Star Girl to get made. Um, Star Girl is one of my favorite young adult books ever. It's by Jerry Spinelli. So I was curious. You know, how did you approach that adaptation process? How did you guys take another author's work and not only learn to sort of kill your own darlings within that world, but kill the darlings of another writer and make a movie that felt true to the spirit of the original book? Um, so the whole, the whole experience of Stargirl was so crazy because, so I was, when we premiered Fast Color at South By, I was super pregnant with our second son. Um, and then, you know, we got home from South By and we're in the midst of this very frustrating sales process on the movie. We were also about to have a baby. We were moving into our new house and definitely not looking for more work, like was actually thinking about maybe this time I'll go on maternity leave. <laughs> um, and then Disney sent us the script. We didn't we didn't adapt it. We rewrote a draft of the script, but uh, Kristen Hahn adapted the book originally for the screen. Um, so we were sent the script and told that Disney wanted me to direct the movie and we were just like oh no 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 like we're about to have a baby we can't do that and what came back from Disney was like well when would you want to make it (laughs) they moved production until we moved to again back to Albuquerque (laughs) our favorite place to make movies um to make Stargirl when Ivan was eight weeks old and uh it ended up being a really uh, a really amazing experience, but a totally unexpected one because our mission in terms of our movies that we made that he produced and I directed together was for them to all be original. And so adaptation, do even just directing an adaptation of a book wasn't really something we had thought much about um, before doing this. But you know, it was it was very cool because it was very cool and very surprising and unexpected that Disney really led us take ownership over the movie and the book and make, you know, the version of the movie that we wanted to make. Yeah. I mean, when, when we first got it, it wasn't, none of the music was, you know, in, in the book, as I'm sure, you know, having read it, like she sings a couple, you know, she sings happy birthday. She sings what four leaf clover, a couple kind of like old standards, but um, you know, the beach boys and, uh, and big star and the cars and all that, that was Julia's pitch to Disney and, she she was like they were like yeah great let's do a musical um or whatever movie with music it's a musical it's a musical and um uh they were totally on board with that um and we just you know we we have two young kids and definitely we were it, we we were and are in a place where like you know movies that are um that like we can show them um 
that have the kind of message that we want to impart to them as young men in the world. Um, you know, it's really important to us to, to, to do that kind of work as well. And I will say like, I had never made a movie with Disney. It was awesome making a movie with Disney, um, especially this movie with Disney, because they they basically said to us, like, we really want this to have like a bit of like an indie vibe. Do you think you guys can do that? And we were like, for, for sure, we can do that. Um, but they, but they, but they totally gave us. You know, they were they were great because their processes are like really buttoned up. Um, the execs over there are awesome. They know exactly what they're doing. They know what their brand is. They know who their audiences are. Um, and they're really clear about that stuff and they're clear about like how that all works internally. Um, and you sort of have to know that, but then they give, like, they are incredibly supportive of, you know, as long as you're all making the same movie, which again, I view my job as a producer is to make sure that everybody is, is on board with, with the same movie. Cause I think a lot of problems ultimately come from people having not interrogated enough, what it is that the work that you're doing, what's it going to look like, what's going to feel like, who's it for all that kind of stuff. Um, and we got on the same page about like, okay, this is the version of the movie we want to make. Like you're sure this is like, we're going to change this and we're going to do this thing. And they were like, yes, this is what we want to do. Um, and like, once we got through those conversations and everybody kind of bought into that version of the movie, it was, it was awesome. Um, like they have amazing resources. They've, you know, there's, there's someone for, there are so many departments and someone for coming from independent film. Right. Like there is someone. Infrastructure. For everything. And it, it is the best. It is the best. And their marketing department's incredible. Like it's just, it was a really head to toe. I would make movies with them forever. It was great. Yeah, you guys were up on the Beverly Center. I drove by a couple times and I was like, oh, hello, friends. Uh, very cool. Something, some, something tells me you guys will be making another Disney movie again. I was going to answer your question, um, Kate, more explicitly about like the responsibility of um, someone else's darlings when you're also responsible for your own darlings. Um, you know, we were really blessed. Jerry was is an executive producer on the film and he read drafts of the script and he and I talked on the phone and emailed a bunch and he ultimately and Eileen, who is his star girl, his wife, Eileen, um, you know, they really loved the movie and were really happy. He said he was so relieved to make the phone call after he saw the first cut of the movie being like, I love it. <laughs> um, and I think that's key, you know, because it is a totally different medium. You know, we even shot like the happy wagon, you know, in the book, like we shot that and the happy wagon is there on, on screen in a couple of scenes, but we, we ended up having to cut the, um, the scenes with it in there because books can be about, a million things and movies at the end of the day have to be about one thing, you know? And so it's really, that I think is the hardest thing about adapting a, a book or even as a, even as a director being responsible for shepherding an adaptation to the screen uh, of a, especially a beloved book. It's, it's really hard because when you have written and created the original story and you're cutting something, you can make peace with that. But knowing that you're potentially cutting things for the greater good of the plot and focus of the film that are beloved to fans and to the creator of those things is it's really hard. And also you've made that choice as to like what you're prioritizing, right? So it's like you're cutting it for the greater good of the story that you've chosen to, or, or of what, of, of the story that you've chosen to prioritize in telling this adaptation. So it's like, it's got these like multiple layers of, of like, you know, how dare you cut that? But like also how dare you prioritize that over this or this over that, or like 
not change that, but change this. And it's like, I don't know. Someone's got to make those choices. <laughs> All right. We have taken a lot of your time and appreciated it's it fun. immensely. We like to uh, two people, so you get double the time. Right? It's true. Here's, <laughs> here's the thing. So we, we have a bunch of questions. Usually we have a bunch of questions that we ask everybody and we pepper them through the conversation, but there was so much good stuff that, frankly, I didn't want to interrupt uh, that we just kind of let it run. But we're going to come back to those questions now and do it like a speed round. Oh, man. So Kate and I are going to trade off asking questions, and you guys have to go first answer that comes to mind. Switch, just hand the mic back and forth. All right. All right. right. Let's all do right. it. Terrible movie, like movie that everybody thinks is terrible that you will defend forever. Uh, nothing but trouble. You're killing Kate, me, Jordan. Kate, Kate visibly grimaced uh, in reaction to that. If you've seen nothing but trouble, you know why. <laughs> People think Baby Boom is a great movie because I do, but I don't know if that's thought of as a terrible movie or not. It's a ridiculous movie, but <laughs> it I feels love like it. An, it feels like an edge case, but we'll give it to you. I think I win that with nothing but trouble. Yeah, I think, I think you probably do. <laughs> Stream that this weekend, guys, if you want to get your brain broken. Uh, get into it. The late, great Sidney Pollack once said that he was only ever interested in making movies about two subjects, love and war, because it's the only two things in the entire history of human existence that we have not had a better understanding of throughout that entire time. So, favorite movie about love, favorite movie about war. Uh, uh, best Years of Our Lives. Favorite movie about war, mm. also about love. <laughs> um, uh, 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 Chloe in the Afternoon, favorite movie Ooh. about love. Good one. Uh, be. <laughs> best movie, but no, best movie about love. Uh, this is subverted, but Kramer versus Kramer. Mm. Um, uh, best movie about war. Uh, <laughs> war. I mean, best years of our lives is the one that I was gonna say, and now I'm just like, yeah. that's fair. No, you it's can share an answer. Yeah, it's a great movie. I feel like you guys can. That's fair, and you're married, so you know, it would be weird if you didn't have a shared yeah, I mean, you know, favorite story too. Yeah. Uh, is the other one that that like pops to mind? So sure, there we go. Uh, all right, single image from a film that is like the image. Or like a cut or like a transition, but like what's Oof. the one that is burned deep in your brain? A cut. We were just talking about a cut. It doesn't have to be day. a cut. It can be a single image. It can be a frame. It's no, just no, like, I know. The, I know. Single, but there was a single There thing. was a cut that like uh, that we were talking about the other day that we were just like, oh my God, that cut. It was, it, I think it was in, um, I think it was in, uh, what's it, in last detail. Uh, there's a cut that was just like, holy shit, how does that cut exist? Um, you know, th there is an image that I always go to with, with a movie. It's in, um, in Wings of Desire, it, it, towards the end, when he's talking to the woman in the bar, and she like turns and looks into the camera and is like talking to all of Germany in that moment about how to rebuild Germany. Um, it is, for me, is just like this... It, it it takes my breath away every time I watch that movie because it is again it's just like there's so much about the power of of storytelling and of cinema and it it brings you somehow into the moment that movie was made and who that movie was for both like locally but also in a in a much more global way um, and I I always that like that moment of her turning and looking and just like like it's very searing. Uh, for me. So I don't know why that came up, but that's what comes up. That's a good one. Julia? 
this is too hard. I'm like sitting here it's not hard, even yeah, listening we to you. We're, look, we're trying to we're trying to go deep here. We want the we want the well, grand commentary on the history of film. I mean, you mentioned Kramer versus Kramer. I mean, that last moment in the elevator, Meryl oh, Streep's wow. face, like the whole history of cinema, could be described in Meryl Streep's face in that moment. So there you go. I couldn't think right, of any right. new movie. Last to, one, <laughs> to Kate, Kate, roll it out. Last yeah. one. So you guys have been given the wonderful opportunity that you are able to screen one film simultaneously for the entirety of planet Earth. What movie are you choosing? Guys, these questions are too hard for <laughs> rapid fire. Well, if you if I'm screening a movie for everyone, I mean, I feel like it's Singing in the Rain for me. Like, that's the movie I screen for everyone, for sure. That's a good answer. Walk us through your walk us through your uh, your 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 thought process, Julia. And then also Strosek. <laughs> <laughs> just for the chicken dance. No, I was just like I was just like trying to think of like what's a hopeful, what's a movie that like we can all feel really good about right now that can give us all hope. And I can't think of any, Sing which is okay, fine, singing in the rain. I mean what's a hopeful movie? It's really sad that we. <laughs> I mean, I, whenever I'm, whenever I play this game, I always blank out on every movie I've ever seen. Stargirl on Disney Plus. <laughs> Stargirl on Disney Plus. There it is. Has any filmmaker ever answered with their own movie? I, <laughs> Not, I yet. Really want to know. Not yet. Not yet. I actually, no. frankly, am a little There's surprised that no one has yet. When we like, get Paul Trader on we're, the show, it's gonna all bets are gonna be yeah. off. Yeah, we're we are very early days in this podcast. It's a wonderful life. Yeah. It's a Wonderful Life. Yeah, that's a good one, too. It's a Wonderful Life. It's oh, wonderful life. I know. Duh. Oh, here we go. My neighbor, my neighbor Totoro, Ooh. which is like one of my most favorite movies, and it's our older son's favorite movie, and we watch it many times a week. And I guess that's a good point. Like, if you're screening for everyone on planet Earth, there's a lot of children. So, you know, that makes sense. Excellent answer. Thank you guys for the <laughs> <You bet>. conversation. <laughs> Thank you, Thank guys. you so much. All right, and we're out. Thank you. From Luminary Media, The Blacklist Podcast is a production of The Blacklist and Ninth Planet Audio. Our executive producers are me, Franklin Leonard, Kate Hagan, Hans Sani, and Jimmy Miller. Gabrielle Horton is our lead producer. Nicholas Patel composed our theme music, and this episode was edited and mixed by Kevin Liu. You can find me on Twitter at Franklin Leonard, at Franklin J. Leonard on Instagram. Kate is that Hagan girl, girl, G-R-R-L, on both. And we, The Blacklist, are the, T-H-E, B-L-C-K-L-S-T. Oh, there might be a small child coming in here right now. <laughs> Fully endorse. Do you want to say hi to all these people we're talking to? Do you want to say hi to the microphone? Go ahead. Good. Here, tell them your name and say hi. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a little squeak. <laughs> Perfect. We'll come, we'll come see what you built in a little bit. We just have to keep talking right now. Okay. Bye. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on.